following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at minute 23 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you today? Well, I will be okay if you're willing to accept my undying loyalty. I will. I will. Oh, good. I, I will. Then, then I won't yeah, be so. killed, I guess. Oh, good. Yeah, uh, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, quite frankly, any loyalty at all, I'll take. Uh, and But we are loyal to our fantastic guest. He's been uh, just kicking ass all week. Niall from Bat Minute 89. Niall, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm not comfortable with this level of power you're giving me because uh, <laughs> I think it can only lead to bad things. So I'm, uh, <laughs> in one regard, I'm like, I'm sad that it's the last, uh, the last minute that I have to be on, but also probably for the best because uh, you know, it could end up with some sort of intergalactic tyrant if it were to continue in this matter. Yeah, and we, 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 not in this minute, but we do see what happens to intergalactic tyrants. Eventually things don't go well. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, get out with the getting's good. Minute 23, Eric, lead us and our listeners through what happens in this minute. Yeah, well, things are not going well for, for, for someone in this minute. Um, we, we get uh, the Ardentians are the focus of this minute, and Prince Sun uh, is their leader. Now, in the comics, the Ardentians were actually lion men. They were not human-looking people, and I'm assuming the movie just didn't have the budget to turn them into lion men. Uh so this Prince Thun in the comics is one of Flash's most trusted friends, and his father's name is King Jugrid, the leader of the Lion Men, one of the three mightiest rulers of Mongo. Unfortunately for George Harris, the actor playing Prince Thun, they, they did not go that route in this movie because um, he, he, he's, he's being told he's, he's being told that uh, to prove his loyalty, he's, he's going to have to do something not too good. Uh, and uh, for people that might want to know a little about George Harris, Niall mentioned this uh, a couple of minutes ago. He plays Captain Katanga in Raiders of the Lost Ark, who, in my opinion, has the greatest uh, spitting out of tobacco I've ever seen in any movie ever. Uh, he also is in a, a few of the Harry Potter movies, so you know he's still uh, active today. And much like Sam Jones, his dialogue was overdubbed in the finished film, but his voice is on the soundtrack album that Queen put out, so it means that the change to overdub his voice was made very late in post-production. Mm. So we do not hear his actual voice in the movie, but we do hear it on the soundtrack. Oh, so he doesn't dub himself then? He, no, he did not dub himself with someone else. Flash Gordon has a lot of characters like this, um, or a lot of actors like this. Really great, long career with a lot of, it, it, been a lot of important stuff. Um, and, you know, being in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which, uh, by the way, really good, uh, Harry Potter film, and, uh, has had, has had such a nice career, and this, this is a nice little, this is a nice little role. You need somebody to help prove how vicious and impo- how vicious Ming and his coterie of, uh, villainy is. And just how impossible it is to defeat them, and uh, he, he does a good job of that. 
Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, but you know, Ming says, fall on your sword, and they cut to Voltan and Baron, and they both have these expressions of like, you know, oh my God, I, 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 I can't believe Ming said that. But, you know, he just threatened to kill Voltan's daughter. His, his adjective is merciless. He's Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Yet they're completely shocked that he wants to make this guy do this. Yeah. I think it might just be the, the change in mood in the room. Because it's just so like, hey, no, everything's great. And then it's just like, oh, yeah. Also, cause, like, you know, we sort of jumped to the, the end of the minute, unfortunately. Like, yeah, we did, yeah. Uh, but th- there is a, a tone of um, it comes up. He's got this, uh, you know, all, you know, all, yeah, because you continually uh, because you blasted our planet, which is like one of the things about this movie is there's so many sort of sexual undercurrents to pretty much everything in it, whether it be like Flash and his leather briefs with the big metal spike thing in his head, and then he's getting executed. Like, it's all very sexual, and then you know Princess Aura getting whipped and stuff like that. There's a whole sexual undercurrent, and then, like, you know, lines like, oh, you're blasting of our planet. It's like, oh, what, what was he doing? Well, how was he blasting? There's a lightness to his tone of just like, oh, you know, all we have is to offer loyalty. And even Clytus is like, oh, and that's all, you know, that's all we need. Everything's cool. And then it's sort of <laughs> to be like, oh, that's great. Fall on your sword. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shift from, like, everything's fantastic to, like, no, things are not good. Like, I'm, uh, you know, things are going to turn real dark real fast. And, and there, this is a real effective form of villainy and also and you're sort of jumping on what you're saying there where everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's light, uh, all the women are dressed sexy, all the guys look cool, everyone's real bright and shiny. And then with one little twist, you realize like, oh, there's just this really terrifying undercurrent and everybody's just barely trying to survive by keeping Ming happy. And the slightest thing that displeases him, uh, he, he really does earn that merciless name. He will kill you. And I, I'm going to do a, a, a pretty deep dive reach. It reminds me a little bit of that, um, Rook, uh, that classic uh, Twilight Zone episode where it turns out the young boy had some sort of unbelievable mental powers and if anybody made him unhappy he would quote unquote send them into the cornfields which meant right. he could send people out of existence everyone had like had smiles painted on their face and would do nothing to upset him because if they did that's all it would take for you know him to send them into the cornfield and people just getting blinked out of existence and that's the thing where if Ming's happy everyone's going to be okay mm. unless he decides that he wants to toy with people as he did at the very beginning of this movie but the slightest thing that displeases him he doesn't have to he's literally called Ming the Merciless he will kill you and then he's going to do it in an embarrassing way it's not just that he you know had somebody stab him it's like oh you have to fall on your own sword because he's going to kill you and humiliate you at the same time yeah and there's a really cool camera angle like looking up at Ming from like on the camera underneath him as he's doing this, that's just really you know adds to the menace. As you were saying though about that Twilight Zone episode, that just reminds me of like you know, the, the Simpsons Halloween special where they had, you know, Bart was doing that, but he could just turn people into whatever he wanted. So like, he turns Homer into a Jack in the Box at one point. That was a, a, like a take because I believe that episode was when Dana Gold. Uh, wrote for the show. I'm a big Dana Gould fan. Who wrote 
who wrote for The Simpsons and was a huge Twilight Zone fan. So he loved sprinkling in those references from Twilight Zone into Simpsons. And it was a, it was a great take on that episode. Yeah, because that happens in the Twilight Zone, right? He turns one of the guys into a, into a jack-in-the-box, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I also got another Simpsons vibe from the, the, the prince's whole uh, – his sort of like all, all we have to offer is our loyalty. And it really brought back memories of Millhouse coming out during uh, Mr. Burns' auditions and been like, I have nothing to offer but my love. And then, like, I just love him. Like, Ming the Merciless was just like, I specifically said no geeks. And then, like, the prince had to be like, but my mom thinks I'm cool. <laughs> There's a lost opportunity for by Flash Gordon, even though it was made a good, like, what, 12 or 13 years before that episode probably aired. Hey, any excuse to mention Millhouse is, is fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I, I do love the whole interaction between the guys in that scene, though, in that, like, it, it, you, know, it's like oh, uh, you know, to what extent is, you know, is this loyalty? And then the prince doing this, like, arms out spread, like, without measure. It's like this big smile on his face. Because he it blatantly shows that it's like, that smile does not come across as sincere. That's just really, like, <laughs> no, just no. trying to be like, hey, I'm so loyal to you guys. This is fantastic. Anyway, I'll see you. And he's hoping to quickly nip out of there. But the, I just love the, and I love the fact that like, you know, I, I wonder if this is part of Clytus' PR training, because you know he has this brief moment of like, oh, that's all we asked for, you know, or that's the best thing you could have given us. But does, does he have an inkling of like, oh, I know Ming, he's not like this, but I'll, you know, to sustain the mood, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's great, yeah, and then to see see what the boss says. Or, yeah, uh, or even is is Clytus saying that basically to give Ming 10 seconds to think about what he really wants to do, because Clytus is like, all right, I know my boss is not accepting this, so let, 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 me, let, me, let me stretch for 10 seconds here so that my boss can think about what re- he really wants to do. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm surprised on that, like, because, you know, you take, this is, Ming, his whole thing is, do you take him, is he displeased about the lack of the tributes, or do you think he's just like, ah, I just want to mess with uh, you know, is, is it is he making him fall on his sword because like, well, you brought me nothing, or is it just more like, oh well, <laughs> ah, this will be fun. It's, it's, you know, you're loyal to me, so fall on your sword. Let's just see what's happening. Is it a genuine displeasement, or is it just, ah, this is how I get my kicks? Well, I I think there's probably a thought in Ming's head where if he lets this guy go without giving him tribute, and just I give you my loyalty, what happens next time? When, gosh, how hard must Voltan be to be to keep in line? Mm-hmm. So he has to. Aside from the fact he just enjoys doing this, also you can't let anyone get away with not giving their tribute because then no one will give their tribute. It's hard to know what goes on in Ming's head because I just like to think of him being malicious for the sake of being malicious. But there is a little bit of dictatorial sense that comes across is like, well, he, he can't let this go because he's, he's ruling by fear. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't name himself Ming, the sort of reasonable guy. He's Ming the merciless. And if he, <laughs> by the way, I, it would be great if the, the preceding leader was so like called, you know, Benji, the reasonable dictator. And it's like, uh, that, that, he didn't last long. They had two Boy, meetings. The, Nobody, everyone stopped paying their the dues. That would be the Monty Python version of Flash Gordon. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing, though. I'm, I'm surprised, though, that uh, you know, we had Voltan was given a chance. He was about to do something, and he was told, like, you will obey. But the thing is, you know, to, to skip back to the beginning of the of this minute, you know, when he reluctantly kind of puts down his weird sword, club, you know, axe thing, or whatever this is he has, he does a, it, it, the contempt and the sort of uh, the kind of reluctance in his face as he goes like, "Hail Ming!" If I were in Ming's shoes, I would be like, "Oh, take him out!" Like that's clearly this guy's going to be trouble down the line. Plus, he's you know his the insolence and the way he said that is going to make people, "Oh, you can just talk to Ming any way you want." Like I know he's saying "Hail Ming," but he doesn't mean it. That's not in his heart. So I'm surprised. I was surprised it wasn't more of a, a scene made about that. Yeah, he literally shrugs his shoulders. I was surprised Bolton got away with that. I'm like, unless Ming yeah. sees some sort of, oh, he could come in handy in the future. Like, if I have him and the Hawkman, it's like, well, if I got them to command, they're a force that are, you know, could be used for various means. But, but I will say as well, like, um, we did see the leverage, the cliffhanger we had from uh, Wednesdays up there, <laughs> where, like, oh, you know, or sacrifice your daughter is what it turned out to be. And then uh, they bring out this little girl. Like, for a split second, I thought might have been, uh, like, a young uh, Mia Wasikowska, you know, from the, you know, the, the, those Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movies and stuff. Because she looked like the spitting image of her. Like, she looked like a young version of that. But then this actress now would be in her 40s, and Mia Wasikowska is only in mid-20s at the most. Yeah, and also no. this actress's name is Adrienne Cronenberg, and this movie is literally her only credit on IMDb. No, well, there you go. Uh, but, like, like, when you see her, though, you're told this is Voltan's daughter, and, like, you see her, and it's like, no, she's not. <laughs> she looks nothing like Brian Blessed. I have Voltan's been, he's been out, you know, out and about in the galaxy. He's probably like, I don't think she's my daughter either, but, like, hey, these people, I've been around. So, like, I'm taking it on this, you know, the mother's word that this is my kid, but, hey, that's, she, she could be anybody, frankly. There's probably a 33% chance that all the girls and little boys born in his society are his kids. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, I think the, the Voltan slash Brian Blessed genes would be strong. Like, if this was his daughter, she would have a beard already. Like, it just <laughs> forces me out of her face. So that's why I want to see like, this little, you know, little pale frail-looking brunette. And then you see, like, this huge mountain mountain next to her with this giant beard and this booming voice. I'm like, that's not his kid. No way. No way is that his kid. Well, and she's got the red wings, too. And I, I, and I know later on we're in the Hawkman City, so I, I can't think of the top of my head, but I feel like this is the only hawk person we see who does not have that boring, you know, dark color wings. She's the only one I think we see with red wings. So do you see many female hawk men or hawk people? I guess there only... must be some in the in the scene later on when they're in this when they're in the Hawkman city. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a genetic thing, like maybe the men have the, the sort of the, the, the goldy brown ones. That, yeah. That maybe she's just from Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> or could be uh. I don't know, maybe because she <laughs> I was <laughs> I don't know if you'll get that joke in a now, but I, I'm glad I made Brad groan. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, we we have our first overseas guest. Let's throw a lot of, like, Detroit <laughs> hockey humor at him. 
<laughs> even if it's general hockey, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah. Like my, but, my knowledge of Detroit is, oh, RoboCop. <laughs> if, you said, if you had RoboCop wings, I'd be like, oh, I totally get you. The hockey team in, in Detroit is the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, right, right. Oh, you know, that went straight over my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 listeners and Brad and Niall, I apologize. All right. Everything just went went off, off I just, course I there for a while. I just, I just derailed this entire episode. I think like it was, it was sort of all over the place anyway because like we jumped to the, the end of the episode. Now we're back at the start. Where are we going with it? Good segue because we're, we're gonna we're gonna go a little wacky here now too. We we did this uh, Niall with a previous guest when we talked about uh, an alternative actor that was considered um, for Zarkov. When the original director was gonna direct this Nicholas Rogue. Max von Sydow was not attached to be Ming the Merciless. The actor was going to be Keith Carradine, which I think would have been really blah, because I don't see him pulling off Ming the Merciless. Mm. So, Keith Carradine was born in 1949, and Max von Sydow was born in 1929. So you've got, first of all, you've got a huge difference in the age of the actor who would be portraying him. Mm. But it made me think of who were other actors born in 1949, other than Keith Carradine, if you wanted to go that younger route. And here are a whole bunch of actors born in the same year, and we can wonder how would these actors have been as Ming the Merciless. Andy Kaufman. <laughs> oh, God, no. no. <laughs> First off, uh, Andy Kaufman's just a nightmare. He was just a right. nightmare to deal with. Uh, could you imagine how challenging that movie would have been to do? And then halfway through, he would do a bongo number. It, it would have been <laughs> terrible. I'd, I'd be more worried because like he's notorious for like when well, he had the whole Tony Clifton business where like he insisted. Well, I guess for official purposes, we should still say uh, Tony Clifton apparently is a different man. He's not right. Andy Kaufman. Right. But yeah, he was just he would show up and set and be in character the whole time. But what if like Andy Kaufman? Decided, no, I will, I will become Mr. Merciless. And he was just swaggering around set in that outfit the whole time, making everyone call me and just dictating orders to people. How long was that about? Yeah, that, John that, Belushi. Yeah. Nah. Love Belushi, Brent, but. Yeah, love him, but no. Uh, yeah. Brent Spiner, Data from Star Trek. Is Brent Spiner that old? Oh. Uh, nah. Would have been fine. Boring, but fine. Eric Estrada. Punch from Chips. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that would have been terrible. Uh, Dave Punch. Thomas from from SCTV. No, no. Yeah, I have no idea who that even is. I think you're out of, you're out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, Tom Berenger. Oh, oh, that would have been. He would have been a better Flash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. He's a bit yeah. too. Uh, I imagine him as more of a kind of Clytus role, actually. Maybe mm-hmm. not with the, the voice, but like, he strikes me more as second to last boss kind of character. Like he's the he's the the muscle before you get to the main guy. Hmm. So yeah. Well, he's also just a brilliant, gruff guy. I mean, I, I I like seeing Tom Berenger punch people and getting punched. Now this so next one, he, I think. Definitely would have mm-hmm. worked because not only his, his, his this would be like a Brian Blessed I think thing where he is the, the person brings it to it, but he actually has acted Gene Simmons from Kiss. Uh, yeah, I got, uh, yeah, yeah. I got more of that actually. Yeah, I think I think that would suit this film as well. I think and then uh, they've already got like a you know borderline glam rock soundtrack, so right. <laughs> yeah, into it. 
Although and he's Regine played Simmons some pretty had... good villains before. Yes, he, he, yes, he's in a, a um, oh a Tom Selleck movie. Um, Runaway. It's like little ro- yes, Runaway. Yes, yeah, he's a villain in that. Although well, I think Gene had... Simmons would have insisted that Kiss do all the music and would have fired Queen probably. I don't know. If, like I think he might be a guy who's proud of that mane of hair. I don't think he would have got him to even wear the ball. We'll <laughs> have a very different looking mane for one one thing. Uh, Ed Begley Jr., if you wanted to go with a wimpy mink. <laughs> no, no. Oh, you know, we've only seen Ed, Ed do certain parts. You know, we don't know his acting range. Maybe <laughs> maybe he, he could secretly pull it off. Uh, if they wanted to make Ming more humorous, Gary Shandling. Oh, God, no, no. <laughs> I have no, not to dump on the memory of Gary Shandling, because I, I, you know, love the Larry Sanders show, but, like, yeah. no, no, <laughs> Again, I'm just picturing Larry Sanders coming. You could have had like Larry Sanders' <laughs> intro music as things coming out, and just like, "Hey, how's it going, everybody?" Although you could have awesome. had Jeffrey, you could have had Jeffrey Tambor then as as Clytus. Oh, that would have been worth it for that. I think actually, <laughs> take it back. Yeah, totally. I'm in favor of Gary Shandling now, <laughs> with the prerequisite that Jeffrey Tambor has to play Clytus. <laughs> and uh, Don Johnson, everyone's Miami Vice favorite guy. Oh, uh, interesting enough, uh, we've, we've gone through um, um, Batman. Uh, Don Johnson was one of the favorites to play Harvey Dent originally. So, uh, ah, okay. Uh, I can actually imagine him doing that. I was like, yeah, totally. But, uh, All right. I don't know, like, what, what's Don Johnson done since my, well, he's a Nash Bridges and stuff. So he is he's ingrained in our head as a good guy. I don't know, maybe he could, maybe he could flip it and turn a bit sinister. I mean, I don't know that he's ever played a villain in his entire career. No, that's not, that's not what comes to mind. I, I think he was, a, he was a bad guy in one of those machete movies. And he was actually pretty effective, but definitely a country bumpkin, hillbilly bad guy, not a Ming the Merciless bad guy. Oh, and also, he was sort of the, the jerky bad guy in Tin Cup, but again, not a, not a Ming the Merciless. Well, I think of Don Johnson, because, because I think of Mass Bridges, the thing I find out, find out about Mass Bridges is that Apparently, the pilot, at least, was co-written. And apparently, a lot of people say that the whole concept was kind of co-created by who was Don Johnson's neighbor at the time, Hunter S. Thompson. And uh, Hunter S. Thompson is Ming the Merciless is something that I would totally, totally watch just to see what the hell he did with it. Because at least he's got the bald head. So, you know, one point, one point in the pro column already. But uh, you would get the intense vibe of, like, oh, unhinged, Loose cannon, psycho, which would really help with the you know with the the unpredictable nature of what Ming might do to people. Hmm. So uh, there, there's there's one I would counter with. I'm like, it's not Don Johnson, Hunter S. Thompson. Call him out and put him in the ring. Uh, and so then, uh, if they were not going to go with Max von Sydow, uh, there's a few other actors born in 1929. If they wanted to go with the older actor, so. This first one would have been absolutely perfect. Christopher Plummer. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, 100%. Uh, this oh, one would, would not... too perfect. Yeah, I mean, it, it would have fit right in. This next one would be incredibly imperfect. Bob Newhart. <laughs> that, that's, again, in the UK, Bob Newhart's not really... He was never really a thing. I, again, only know him from his cameo appearance in The Simpsons, where it's like... Oh, I guess. <laughs> uh, just from that appearance, I'm like, no, he wouldn't have been in it. Yeah, that, that's, that's how he is in everything he's ever been in. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, if you wanted to continue with just completely comedic actor, inappropriate, uh, again, I don't know if you'll know this guy in England. He's most known for being on the show laughing, Artie Johnson. No, sorry. This doesn't ring a bell. Uh, Ed Asner? Ooh. Uh, I don't know. Interesting, but not, not, not right. Yeah, again, he's a bit too comic for, for me. Right, right. Yeah. And, I, and just didn't look the part in the least either. I mean, Bob Newhart looks like Ming more than Ed Asner does. <laughs> uh, and lastly, and I think that he would have worked, this is a character actor, James Hong. You guys know who James Hong is? Oh, yeah. Um, the, from Big Trouble and Little China. Yeah. Yes, yes. He's, yeah, he's been, yeah. And he's in a great Seinfeld episode. He's a, He's been in essentially every movie ever made. Almost. Oh, yeah, he's uh, Seinfeld 4, that guy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he, he was also the panda's father in the Kung Fu Panda movies. Ah, all right. <laughs> I thought, yeah, actually, yeah, 100%. Again, you can see from Big Trouble that he was a great villain in that. So right, absolutely. It's kind of, it's on the same line, so yeah, totally. I think it's yep. almost... It's kind of like, uh, you know, when, uh, when Tom Selleck watched, like, missed out on playing Indy, and then he kind of played him in those kind of Indy knockoff movies a couple of years later. It almost would have been like uh, Big Trouble is now like James Hong. He missed out on playing Ming the Merciless that time. But don't worry, he kind of got to play him, you know, a couple of years later anyway. Right, right. Interesting names. I, 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 you know, somewhere there's an alternate universe with the Ed Asner as Ming Flash Gordon. Uh, I'm glad we're. I don't. I don't. I think that might be the dark universe. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely in the good universe when it comes to that. Like it's a cliche thing now to do, but like it's just good to lean into a, a good dramatic actor with good dramatic chops to play your regal villainous characters because at least you know. You're, you know, as I said it before with the uh, inside that, I was like, you're in safe hands with this guy. Like, he's, there's no way he's going to let you down to doing this. So I think they, they 100% make the, the right choice in going with this guy. Like, I, I would say, I did note that there's a, a nice little bit of when the, the, uh, the prince is stepping up to talk to, to Ming, and he's got this, you know, incredibly loud clothing, which is just like, that sounds like so inconvenient to have to haul that around the whole time. Uh, but you do see those little um, sort of shrunken down Power Rangers looking guys. They've still got his ears, and they're kind of poking them at him as if he's still trying to do something. Like, it's like they're so on edge, these guys. That they're like, you never know what he's, he might Daddy. turn around and try to dump you know, a cup of coffee on them or something. Like, they seem to be especially in fear of this character. Well, um, it's, like when a, it's like when a small dog barks at a really big dog, and the big dog is like, huh, what? Uh, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, no, the only other thing I'd add in is just that um, I kind of mentioned it. I think it was on the Watchmen guys, but I don't know why it came up there. But I, I'm more of a, a staunch defender of the '87 Masters of the Universe movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I really took Stop away wondering. from the re- yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, one thing I really took away from uh, the rewatch of uh, Flash before I sat down to do this. Was that uh, you know in that movie there's a lot of things that you know they're obviously ripping off this and that from every other thing, and I always used to have the mindset of like well the Frank Langella Skeletor who's the best part of that movie and I love that portrayal I love that character my brother's actually done me a hand painted bleach T-shirt of Frank Langella Skeletor which is up proudly displayed my walls it's fantastic I always assumed like oh yeah they're kind of ripping on Palpatine. Because, yeah, he's like the Emperor. But actually watching this, I really think it's, it's Clytus is what they're going for. It's because he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's got the black 
hoods. It's kind of worn the same way. Just that mask is kind of similar in a way to Skeletor's mask, but then the body is very much like the Langella Skeletor is all like, so he's got weird drapey metal bits. It's a bit sparkly in places, and he's got the gloves and weird things in the ends of the fingers and stuff. It's all total Clytus stuff. So I think now I can rectify in my head of like, I can I can no longer accuse them of, of ripping off Palpatine to Skeletor. I think, no, it was Clytus is what they ripped off there. So but a, a little thing I, I, I learned on my way towards doing this podcast. Awesome. Uh, hey, we're, we, we love that. This is for learning. It's not just for fun. <laughs> All right, well, this has been a fantastic week. And I, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, and one last time, uh, share where people can find out more about Bat Minute 89. Well, anywhere on the, the Internet, if you so choose to look. Uh, we're in the hearts and minds of the people. Uh, so we're uh, Bat Minute 89 through Twitter and uh, Facebook and there's all, that, all the usual stuff and your Instagrams and the the Pinterest and the MySpaces and the Bebos and things like that. We're all over the place. And then if you actually want to listen to the show rather than just interact with us, uh, which might be advisable before you interact with us because you'd have more to talk about. Um, we can get us on iTunes and uh, to Podbean and Podcast Addict and all the usual podcast places. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much for, for having me on, guys. Like, I've been, uh, like, used to... I've, I've seen this film like quite a few times in my life in bits and pieces because I don't know. Well, I suppose you have a version of it in America with it being as of recording President's Day. But in the UK, we have uh, just bank holidays, which is just when like, the country just gives up for a day. And this is like, no, we just need a day off. And everyone just gets the day off randomly. So they have to throw things on TV. Uh, and one of them, you know, there's, there's staple films that are always on. And, you know, The Great Escape's one of them and Sound of Music and that kind of stuff. And Flash Gordon was one that was always on. Like, oh, that's always. great. Yeah, so if I hadn't seen it from, like, the very beginning every time, I'd at least seen a good, a good, like, 40 minutes of it just, like, drifting in around, like, channel hopping because every bank holiday it would be on inevitably. And uh, I remember it was one of the few movies that when I started piecing together bits of, like, weird movie trivia in my head because... I remember when I was a kid, been able to spot that, like, oh, that guy at the beginning, that's Robbie Coltrane. It just shows right. up for a second. And been like, what? What the hell is he doing here? And then he just doesn't appear in the rest of the movie. And been like, this is crazy. Because Robbie Coltrane, even before Harry Potter, was a big star. He right. Right. Even before Hagrid. Yeah, oh, totally. Like, he used to be in a TV show, like a hard-hitting detective show called Cracker. Which is, so you saw Robbie Coltrane, like, he was a known billboard face. So then, yeah, just sit down and watch Flash Gordon, even at, like, you know, 11 years old. And you just see a flash of Robbie Coltrane, and then like, what, 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 where did he go? Why, why isn't he in the rest of this? Surprisingly, actually, like, in watching it uh, more recently, because I haven't seen it in a couple of years, of, uh, I really enjoyed how much they lean into just the sheer craziness of the entire concept. Like, they don't try to take it in any way too seriously, which is, uh, you know, particularly in this day and age of, sci-fi movies is kind of refreshing because you do get the odd one, like your Guardians of the Galaxy and whatnot, to take it very lightly. But uh, it, it, it's just nice to see them lean into the, the zaniness and the Dago colors of it all. And the, hey, well, if there's a fight scene that turns into a football game and stuff. And uh, all that was terrific. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for giving me a reason to watch the movie again. Yeah, we uh, definitely appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, Eric, where can people find out more about uh, Flash Gordon Minute? 
Uh, catch us on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod. Email us, Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com. Chat with us on Facebook, Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. Well, Eric, this has been a great week. Thank you so much. Uh, this is all your brainchild. And, uh, yeah, I'm feeling really good. We're going to have a great week next week. Uh, but I do have one last concern for the week. Ah. i gotta, I got to say, I've only been here a while. But, like, have you gone in to, like, talk to anyone about, like, maybe getting diagnosed with a bit of anxiety or something? <laughs> like, you seem to have a lot, of, a lot on your shoulders, man. It, I, I do. But, but this time what it is is I'm afraid our guest is not going to let us use this recording because unbeknownst to him, while we've been recording, I am wearing a Tottenham Tottenham Hotspurs uh, shirt, and uh, that, that, that might just take him off. Okay, well, uh, much like I made a reference to the Detroit Red Wings before, and Niall had no idea what I was talking about, I, I, I'm assuming you're talking about uh, uh, the soccer leagues, or as they call it, the football over there. Uh, and and uh, other than Manchester United, uh, and I think uh, there's a team in Barcelona, I know nothing about European soccer at all. But don't worry, because if you're clueless like me and you can't tell a center from a striker from a goalie, Flash will save every one of us. Coming up next week, our heroes face Ming the Merciless, and Brad is reunited with Katie and Ryan of Minute of Darkness. Incredible adventures await you here on Flash Gordon Minute.